Remember the 90s, when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
Christmas Testament kicking off this program with DNR, Do Not Resuscitate, off their 1999 album, The Gathering. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I am your metallic host, Ian. Folks, this week you're in for a real treat, or at least some of you are anyway, as, surprise, I'm doing yet another of my much-hyped special-themed episodes. Your virgin ears are about to bear witness to the first-ever all-metal edition of Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Oh, yeah! I've done genre editions of the program before, such as an all-punk and ska show back in 2013, as well as a couple grunge episodes, but never a metal show. Admittedly, the seed for one was planted a long time ago, and for some reason I never got around to doing it earlier, but in light of facing down essentially a full slate of metal albums to review for this episode, I decided, it, now's the time. My normal episodes of Sounds Like Teen Spirit are always wildly eclectic and unpredictable, and this one, despite being more singularly focused, promises to be no different, as metal is about as diverse and all-encompassing as rock and roll itself, the genre it spun off from. I made a point to try and pack in as many different styles of metal as I could fit into the next couple hours, including classic, thrash, groove, prog, alt, sludge, doom, new, industrial, even technical death. Obviously, two hours is not nearly enough time to cover the full scope of 90s metal, and I had to regrettably leave a lot of stuff out. If you feel like there are any glaring omissions from this episode's playlist, know that they were probably featured in an earlier draft of the playlist, or they were omitted based on their inclusion in other recent episodes. The artists you can expect to hear in this one include, but aren't limited to, Motorhead, Devin Townsend, Annihilator, Typo Negative, Pestilence, Suicidal Tendencies, Damage Plan, At the Gates, Biohazard, and System of a Down. Plus, I'm going to be reviewing and playing a song apiece from the new Machine Head album of Kingdom and Crown and the new Muse album, Will of the People, both released on August 26th, the new Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, released on September 2nd, and the new Ozzy Osbourne album, Patient Number 9, released on September 9th. I'll start with Muse. Welcome to my first ever Muse album review on Sounds Like Teen Spirit. In my own defense, this is only the second opportunity I've had to do one, as the band's 2015 album Drones predated the 2.0 reboot of this show. However, I made a conscious decision not to review their 2018 album Simulation Theory when it came out, as I didn't consider Muse 90s enough for that treatment. Muse barely qualifies as a 90s band, having issued their debut album Showbiz in the fall of 1999. That essentially makes them a 90s buzzer beater, and what's more, none of the band's best-known songs came from that first album. Generally, whenever I've played Muse in the past, I restricted myself to just their first two albums because I didn't want to stray too far from this show's underlying theme. And yet, to repeat something I said earlier this year during my review of the new Spoon album, the beauty of Sounds Like Teen Spirit 2.0 and nixing my former obligation to stick exclusively to 90s recordings is that I now have the leeway to move the goalposts as I see fit, and I have gradually moved them way far out from my original parameters since first relaunching the show in 2015. At this point, more than seven years in, if I want to review a particular album and can connect its artists to the 90s no matter how loosely, then I'm just going to do it, and I really wanted to review this particular Muse album. 
All right, with that out of the way, I suppose I should now clarify why I'm doing my first ever Muse review during what's supposed to be my first ever all metal show. After all, Muse have often been quite heavy in the past, but they'd never actually been full on metal before. Before now, that is. For at least select songs on their 2022 album, Will of the People, Muse have finally crossed over into metal territory. Ultimately, though, Will of the People is far from a metal album, and in fact, all of its metal songs were issued as singles in advance. Out of its 10 tracks, the only two that really qualify as metal are lead single, Won't Stand Down, and fourth single, Killer Be Killed, and if not for its heavy metal breakdowns, the former could easily be reclassified as hard rock. However, the latter, between its pummeling instrumentation, death growls, and virtuosic guitar soloing, is pure metal. It's a style that looks good on Muse, not to mention a breath of fresh air from them, and it makes me feel disappointed that the song's not more representative of the album as a whole. Sure, I already knew that Will of the People wouldn't be entirely a metal album, as I'd heard a couple of pre-release singles that were decidedly not metal, but I was still expecting it to be more metal than this. I suppose that's on me, though, as looking back, I don't think Muse ever sold it as a metal album. In fact, frontman Matt Bellamy once described Will of the People as a greatest hits album of new songs, and it was essentially the band's response to being pressured by their label into doing a greatest hits album. Having now heard it for myself, I feel that's a pretty accurate summation, as it really does feel like 10 standalone tracks culled from different albums and eras. There's a lot of variety and disparity throughout the album, with different sounds, styles, and influences rearing up on a song-to-song -song basis. For instance, Will of the People's catchy title track and album opener, which has been described as Muse's take on glam rock, is like a cross between Black Holes and Revelations era Muse and American Idiot era Green Day. Liberation sounds uncannily like a Queen power ballad from the mid to late 70s between both its lead and backing vocals, and closing track We Are Huffing Huffed strongly evokes Queens of the Stone Age and is among the hardest songs on the album, though it never really crosses over to metal. Elsewhere on the album, Compliance is a more deliberative but highly danceable number driven by a cheesy 80s-style synth loop. Ghosts is a sparse ballad comprised almost entirely of Matt Bellamy crooning over piano. And You Make Me Feel Like It's Halloween is a pop song characterized by a lot of high falsetto from Bellamy, sounding somewhat reminiscent of Michael Jackson's Thriller album. With such a disparate degree of genre hopping amid its 10-song track list, Will of the People keeps listeners on their toes, but is unlikely to satisfy anyone completely, and it's by far Muse's shortest album to date at under 38 minutes in total length. It may be breezy and efficient, but it also definitely feels slight compared to past Muse albums, and I don't think all of the material included is strong enough to justify its brevity. Still, the album proves to be a fun and inconsequential listen, though ultimately a victim of my own expectations for it, which I admit may have been misinformed. That being said, its intriguing flashes of metal are enough to make me hope that Muse fully embraced the genre on the next go-around. Alright, even though Will of the People isn't as metal as I anticipated, I still wanted to review it during my all-metal show because I knew it was guaranteed to have at least one track that perfectly embodies the theme. Here is that aforementioned fourth single, Killer Be Killed. Enjoy!
This portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events in its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com.
Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Snake Roberts, who gives a damn about those call letters? KBGA, KGBA, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know where the music's at, don't you? Stupid.
Queensryche with Fallout off their 2013 self-titled. Queensryche is getting ready to put out a new studio album soon. This one has been titled Digital Noise Alliance and it's scheduled for release on October 7th. It'll be the band's 16th album overall, their first since The Verdict from early 2019, and their fourth with vocalist Todd Latour, who was initially tapped to replace original frontman Jeff Tate in 2012. It's also the second Queensryche album to feature Casey Grillo in place of original drummer Scott Rockenfield, who stepped down in 2017 for what started as a leave of absence, but eventually upgraded to a permanent exit, one that likely wasn't on his terms, judging by the recent litigations between himself and the remaining two founding members. Furthermore, longtime co-guitarist Parker Lundgren, who first joined in 2009 as a touring member, left the band last year to pursue other business ventures, and he's been replaced by returning guitarist Mike Stone, who previously served in Queensryche between 2003 and 2008. So yeah, this is a heavily revised version of the Queensryche that existed just a decade ago. Fans needn't worry, however, because the first three singles from Digital Noise Alliance demonstrate the band to be on very stable footing. Guitarist Michael Wilton has described the album as encompassing and exceeding everything Queensryche have been over the years, and in keeping with his word, each of these first three songs shows off a different shade of the band. Lead single In Extremis is an exuberant power metal anthem on which Latour seems to be channeling Bruce Dickinson even more than his predecessor Tate. Second single, Forest, is a mournful acoustic ballad that clearly aims to be this album's silent lucidity, especially with its use of backing vocals towards the end. And Behind the Walls is a near seven-minute proggy epic that easily ranks among the most spectacular Queensryche songs of the Latour era thus far. I think that Digital Noise Alliance could very well be the best album yet of said era, and I look forward to reviewing and playing from it for y'all next month. Anyway, before Queensryche, I played Edge Crusher by Fear Factory off their 1998 album Obsolete. Jump in the Fire by Metallica off their 1983 debut Kill 'Em All. Pride by Damage Plan off their 2004 album New Found Power. Judgment Night by Biohazard and Onyx off the soundtrack album for the 1993 film of the same name and Six O'Clock by Dream Theater, off their 1994 album, Awake. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit, Metal Edition, on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com slts2, and to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Machine Head album, O Kingdom and Crown. Machine Head, specifically frontman and head architect Rob Flynn, undeniably had something to prove after the 2018 album Catharsis. The band had been on a run of winning albums, starting arguably with 2003's Through the Ashes of Empires and encompassing fan favorites like 2007's The Blackening and 2014's Bloodstone and Diamonds. These albums were well received by both critics and fans and found Machine Head in its optimal headspace of extreme thrash and groove metal. Then Catharsis came along and derailed that streak by hearkening back more to the band's turn-of-the-century albums The Burning Red and Supercharger, which featured more of a new metal sound and are generally poorly regarded by the Machine Head fandom. 
Although I ultimately think I like Catharsis, as well as the two albums that served as its precedent, a bit more than most people, I also recognize it's not the best version of Machine Head, and the album did provably sour a number of diehards on the band, and at least partially fueled the departures of longtime drummer Dave McLean and guitarist Phil Demmel. With Rob Flynn now the only member not added to the lineup within the past decade, and Machine Head sitting on the wrong side of critics and fans' good graces, there was a lot riding on the band's 2022 album of Kingdom and Crown. But I believe Flynn and company have emphatically succeeded in mounting a comeback and re-establishing themselves as a force with this outing. Of Kingdom and Crown is a concept album, and believe it or not, the first one ever from Machine Head. The album's narrative was inspired in part by the anime Attack on Titan and has been summarized by Flynn as follows. The concept is set in a futuristic wasteland where the sky is always crimson red and it's based around two characters. Character number one is named Ares and he loses the love of his life, Amethyst, and goes on a murderous rampage against the people who killed her. Character number two is Eros, who loses his mother to a drug overdose and, in his downward spiral, depression, becomes radicalized by this charismatic leader and goes on his own killing spree and is one of the people who killed Amethyst. And so the lyrics detail how their lives intertwine. In reality, though, you'd have to get most of those plot specifics from the liner notes or from Flynn's mouth, because almost none of that summary is conveyed through the album's lyrics. It's a concept album driven not so much by what happens, but rather by the impact it has on the people it happens to. In other words, emotion trumps lore almost universally throughout Of Kingdom and Crown. However, despite the lack of finer details included within the album itself, the underlying concept ultimately works very much in its favor. In basing all its lyrical content around a single cohesive story, Machine Head have crafted a more focused and engaging album than usual, while also providing sufficient song variants without coming at a cost of musical consistency. The album's 10-plus minute lead-off track, Slaughter the Martyr, is a rousing and dynamic opener that introduces the character of Ares and his plight. Aggressive tracks like Choke on the Ashes of Your Hate, Become the Firestorm, Bloodshot, and Rotten effectively convey the fury, frustration, and nihilism of the main characters as they walk a dark path they know there's no coming back from. And more melodic songs like My Hands Are Empty, Unhallowed, and Arrows and Words from the Sky authentically evoke the hopelessness and despair felt by these characters as they are scarred by harrowing loss and regret, with the latter track closing out the album on an unexpectedly hopeful note. The underlying concept probably wouldn't work so well if not for Rob Flynn's total commitment to embodying the fictional people at its center. He's so resolutely intense that it's hard not to wonder if he's drawing from his own personal experience of being on a rage and sorrow-induced killing spree. Furthermore, from a musical standpoint, Of Kingdom and Crown is undoubtedly one of the heaviest Machine Head albums yet. Its most unrelenting moments compare favorably to those on the fan-favorite albums highlighted near the beginning of this review, and even the more vulnerable songs on the album can get to be surprisingly brutal in their instrumentation. I don't think the fans who took umbrage with the previous Machine Head album will have anything derogatory to say about this one. Ultimately, Of Kingdom and Crown marks a triumphant return to form for a band that arguably needed one, and even though it's a bit overlong and could stand to lose a couple of its less distinguished tracks, it's still only about average length for a Machine Head album and feels tighter than most others. 
Alright, this next song is among the standouts from the album, and the one that reminds me the most of Machine Head's 1994 debut, Burn My Eyes. The song's called Rotten. Enjoy! The words are choking by My teeth are gritting at the rage I feel it My stomach tight and knots The clenching muscles tight About to explode inside the anchor building I've sat with good in hand Prayer a temple Can't understand Bleeding an open sore These wounds I can't ignore I am the misbegotten Let this horror be forgotten Everything is rotten to the core
This is Sarah Sandoval on behalf of Nkusum Language School. You're listening to 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
all like the radio station, College Radio, 89.9 FM.
listen, we don't need any fancy, super duper promo. We don't need any of that. See, here with KVGA, we're just a student run college radio station and we play music. It's pretty simple. That's it.
Devin Townsend with Christine off his 1998 album Infinity. A few years back, around the time of release for his 2019 album Empath, Devin Townsend claimed he nearly bankrupted himself to finish the album and that if it didn't do well, it would likely be his last. I guess it must have done well enough because Townsend's currently on a new music kick. Last December, he released the companion albums The Puzzle and Snuggles with a combined 100 plus minutes of music between them. The former is a chaotic jumble of jarring art rock a la Mr. Bungle's Disco Volante album, and the latter is essentially a series of warm soundscapes intended to soothe the listener. Townsend meant for those albums to serve as a bridge between Empath and his next one, which is right now on the horizon. That album has been titled Lightwork and is scheduled for release on October 28th. Townsend has described this album as being different from the last few, more closely resembling a straightforward collection of songs than Empath, The Puzzle, and Snuggles, which are all very much cohesive bodies. He recently issued the lead single Moon People, and indeed it does suggest a new trajectory for him. The song is more melodic and traditional than anything on The Puzzle or Snuggles, but it's also decidedly not metal, unlike much of Empath and, by extension, Devin Townsend's greater discography. Musically, it reminds me of the lighter stuff from Muse, and to some extent, the indie rock band TV on the Radio. Parts of it are also highly reminiscent of Spirits Will Collide from Empath, except notably scaled back in scope and production. Townsend's metal fans may find the single disappointing, but most of those same fans are likely aware that Townsend operates with a vast wheelhouse and that this song fits squarely into it. Maybe Lightwork will prove to be more of a metal album beneath its surface, but judging by Moon People's position as the opening track, I'm thinking don't expect to be bowled over by thunderous riffs going into this one. Although Moon People was indeed different from what I myself was expecting, I ultimately kind of liked the song and definitely find it to be growing on me. I'm curious to hear what else Lightwork has in store and plan to review and play from it on the program later this year. Anyway, before Devin Townsend, I played In the Name of Tragedy by Motorhead off their 2004 album Inferno. Set Me Straight by The Melvins off their 1993 album Houdini. Multiple Beings by Pestilence, off their 1993 album Spheres. Send Me Your Money by Suicidal Tendencies, off their 1990 album Lights, Camera, Revolution. And Genocidal Humanoids by System of a Down, off their 2020 single Protect the Land slash Genocidal Humanoids. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit Metal Edition on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Megadeth album, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. Megadeth's 1990 album Rust in Peace, widely considered to be their magnum opus, is about as perfect a thrash metal album as has ever existed, not to mention the album that made me realize I prefer Megadeth over Metallica. There's little doubt in my mind that frontman Dave Mustaine has been trying to replicate it on several of the band's more recent outings, but with 2022's The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, I think he may have finally pulled it off. 
I'm not saying the new album is on the same level, as it's still far too fresh for me to determine whether it'll go down as a classic, but in terms of pacing and songwriting sensibilities, this album evokes rust in peace harder than practically any other Megadeth album released in its wake. The album's default speed is frenetic, and its fastest songs, such as Life in Hell, Will Be Back, and Night Stalkers, rival absolutely anything else Megadeth have done, with the latter exceeding even Slayer's usual pace. And yet, there's still a fair amount of nuance employed throughout the sick, the dying, and the dead, and some songs even manage to sound downright tuneful without tampering the album's ferocity. Soldier On is perhaps the hookiest song on the album, but really no less of a badass for it. Ditto goes for its follow-up track, Celebutant, with its distinctively Judas Priest-esque riffing. I've noticed that Mustaine plays around with song dynamics a bit more on this album, as relatively few of its tracks remain at the same tempo throughout. While most songs come charging right out of the gate, some of those, like the aforementioned Life in Hell, slow down considerably for the bridge or midsection, and then hang out there a while before suddenly snapping back to their original speed. Furthermore, there are a couple, namely Dogs of Chernobyl and Mission to Mars, that opt for the slow burn approach, starting out atmospherically, settling into a relatively restrained trot, and finally erupting into a no-holds-barred gallop by the end of their epic runtimes. Despite its fluctuations in tempo, however, the sick, the dying, and the dead never really strays from being a melodic yet in-your-face thrash album, just like Rust in Peace. It's even got an interlude track called Psychopathy that serves as the album's counterpart to Rust in Peace's Dawn Patrol, though this one isn't driven by an ominous, spine-tingling bass line. There are still some notable differences between the two albums, though. For one, The Sick is about 15 minutes longer, making it feel considerably less tight, but although not all of its tracks seem like they're pulling their weight, there aren't really any duds to speak of on the album. Furthermore, Dave Mustaine has aged by more than 30 years since Rust in Peace, and the youthful wail he had on that album is of course long gone. His voice is now low and gravelly and has the character of a grizzled veteran who's been to hell and back one too many times, which actually isn't far off from his reality. This is perhaps most apparent during the rapid-fire finale of Dogs of Chernobyl, which sees Mustaine choking and spitting out his lyrics in a manner most unhinged. He still sounds like himself, though, and once again proves to be exactly the vocalist Megadeth needs. What's more, although no other members of Megadeth's dream team lineup from the 90s, guitarist Marty Freeman, bassist David Elfson, and drummer Nick Menza, are present on the album, the trio of musicians backing Mustaine instead arguably represent the closest he's ever come to recapturing that lineup's magic. Guitarist Kiko Lurero, the only holdover besides Mustaine from the previous album's lineup, really comes into his own on The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, following his fairly strong debut on 2016's Dystopia. I'm not sure I can say he's the best co-guitarist Mustaine has had since Marty Friedman, as his predecessor Chris Broderick also did some amazing work with Mustaine, particularly on the 2009 album Endgame, but here he more than demonstrates that Megadeth is right where he belongs. Testament bassist Steve DiGiorgio recorded on The Sick as a session musician, and although his work is often overshadowed by the other instrumentalists in the band, the moments where his bass parts are highlighted show that he brought that same Testament flair to Megadeth. However, I would say Mustaine's most valuable player on the new Dream Team lineup is drummer Dirk Verburen, who finally got to participate in a Megadeth album after first joining the band over six years ago. Verburen may well be the fastest drummer Mustaine's ever worked with. 
Hearing him drum on the new album, particularly on the aforementioned Night Stalkers, I'm overcome with amazement that a human being can do anything that fast, let alone play the most physically demanding musical instrument. I'm betting at Megadeth's live shows, it's hard to tell if he's actually even there because it probably looks like there's a giant perpetual motion blur behind the drum kit where a body is supposed to be. Folks, it's been a long and arduous road to The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, the first Megadeth album in over six and a half years, which is more than double the length of any of their other album gaps to date. As I've chronicled over the course of, frankly, too many episodes of Sounds Like Teen Spirit, the album had to endure Mustaine's cancer diagnosis, the pandemic, and an ugly falling out between Mustaine and original bassist David Ellefson after the latter's entanglement in a sex scandal. In the end, though, I would say Dave Mustaine's prolonged struggle to bring the album to fruition has really paid off. Mustaine has suggested that The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead will be the first of many new Megadeth albums to come in the near future, and I really hope he's right, because to not capitalize on this newfound momentum the band's acquired would be foolish. Alright, this next song is one of the ones I can't seem to stop coming back to, the already twice-mentioned Life in Hell. Enjoy!
faces haunt your dreams each and every night When it gets too much, hearing their cyanide Now everything fades out and you depart just like a ghost The devil says, welcome to hell, I am your host There's no reason left to say goodbye There's no reason left to live or die Judgment waiting, it's the end of the line Your existence and this twisted game The definition of criminally insane It won't be long until you do it again You'll see I'm a disease I'm all I need I'm a disease I'm all I need I'm a Here's Bill Manspeaker, the punk rock puppet master from the band Green Jello. And you're listening to KBGA Missoula. Little pig, little pig, let me in. Oh, 
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else, and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give Something Else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
This is James Pants from the Stone's Throw label in the forests of Spokane. You are listening to KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM.
Now that I'm barren, KBGA is my baby. <laughs> and I'm an overbearing mother. Put your, put your friend's mom on the phone. Floss harder. Just like your father. Straighten your back. Those grades aren't Ivy League. I said keep it locked to 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
Slipknot with People Equals Ish off their 2001 album, Iowa. Slipknot's upcoming seventh studio album is so close, it's practically within kicking distance from here. The album has been titled The End So Far, and it's scheduled for release later this month on September 30th. It'll be the first new Slipknot album since We Are Not Your Kind from just over three years ago, marking the band's shortest album gap in almost two decades. It'll also be their first to feature percussionist Michael Pfaff, who first joined in 2019 as a replacement for longtime member Chris Fain, as well as their final album on Roadrunner Records, which housed all other Slipknot albums released to date. The end so far's first single, The Chapel Town Rag, was actually released almost a year ago, well before the album was announced. Honestly, I wasn't super impressed with that one when it first came out, and after recently revisiting it, I don't really feel any different about it. I just found it to be one of Slipknot's less memorable songs, I guess. Fortunately, the two singles released since the album's announcement have resonated more with me. The first of these, The Dying Song, parentheses, Time to Sing, is an intensely energetic and anthemic number that recalls the previous album's unsainted single, while the second, simply titled Yen, is more melodic, with chillingly subdued verses that give way to a fiery chorus, not unlike modern Slipknot classics The Devil in I and A Liar's Funeral. Both singles, more so than the Chapel Town Rag, feel like they came from the same headspace as We Are Not Your Kind, continuing with that album's more complex arrangements and increased presence of atmospheric keys. And that all sits pretty well with me, given that I previously named We Are Not Your Kind my Album of the Year for 2019. Yeah, yeah, I know what some of you might be thinking, but is it really so far-fetched for an album sitting at a cushy 89 out of 100 on Metacritic to be my favorite from its year? The end so far most certainly has a tough act to follow, and I'll be sure to let you know whether or not it lives up, as well as play a song from it regardless, during the next episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Corey Taylor apparently thinks this new album is better, so we'll see. Anyway, before Slipknot, I played Slaughter of the Soul by At The Gates, off their 1995 album of the same name. A Room With A View by Death Angel, off their 1990 album Act 3. Unfortunately, by Prong, off their 1996 album Rude Awakening, Wicked Mystic by Annihilator, off their 1989 album Alice in Hell, Licking Cream by Seven Dust, featuring Skin from Skunkanancy, off their 1999 album Home, and Everyone I Love is Dead by Typo Negative, off their 1999 album World Coming Down. And that about wraps up a metabulous episode of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I've been your Dark Lord, Ian. I'm closing out my first all-metal show by reviewing and playing a song from the new Ozzy Osbourne album, Patient Number 9. Folks, a couple years back, I made the dubious judgment call that Ozzy's 2020 album, Ordinary Man, would go down as his last, and I reviewed the album through that lens, sizing it up as a potential swan song for Ozzy. Really, though, could you blame me? You saw what happened to Lemmy, right? Guy seemed to be immortal for decades, defying proponents of clean living up until 2013, and then it was just one health problem after another for his final two years, culminating with a very aggressive cancer that killed him so fast he didn't even have time to publicly disclose his diagnosis. And it really did seem to me like that same chain of events was beginning for Ozzy around 2019. Ozzy started facing a series of illnesses, injuries, and infections that took a toll on both his physical and mental health, and by all accounts, he had to struggle to put the finishing touches on Ordinary Man. 
but I see now that I was a fool to doubt the Ozman's resilience and should have known better from the start. Although Ozzy's health has continued to face challenges since the release of Ordinary Man, getting the album done had apparently ignited a spark that led him to rapidly conceive a follow-up, and both Ozzy and his wife Sharon have attested that making new music has been the very thing powering him through these difficult years. Ozzy's not dying, folks. He's actually regaining his strength. And if Ordinary Man ever seemed like Ozzy Osbourne saying goodbye, as it did for me on at least some tracks, then his newly released album Patient Number no. 9 plays like a celebration of his continued survival, a lively get-together between Ozzy and several of his famous musician friends intended to taunt the forces of death. Said musician friends are peppered throughout Patient Number no. 9, and the album's central conceit is that it uses at least seven unique lead guitarists. Eric Clapton, Mike McCready, Andrew Watt, and Dave Navarro take point on one track apiece, Jeff Beck and Tony Iommi each have two songs on the album, and Zach Wilde, Ozzy's longest-serving guitarist, has a whopping four songs, making him the single biggest contributor to the album's guitar work. Additional instrumentation is provided by the likes of Josh Homme, Robert Trujillo, Duff McKagan, Chris Chaney, Chad Smith, and the late Taylor Hawkins, and prolific songwriter Ali Tamposi co-wrote about half the songs on the album. Indeed, Patient Number no. 9 is a very star-studded affair, but it somehow manages to wield all that star power with style and aplomb. The album remains thoroughly engaging and entertaining due to each of its legendary guitarists bringing their own individual flair to Ozzy's music. For instance, Pearl Jam's Mike McCready incorporates some grungy licks into the main riff of his designated song. Jeff Beck's brand of jazzy electro-rock proves to be a strangely good fit for Ozzy on two masterful power ballads, and the songs recorded with Black Sabbath axman Tony Iommi achieve that same Sabbath-y mojo we were fortunate to get on the band's 2013 reunion album, 13. The awesome last few minutes of Iomi's No Escape From Now represent my single favorite moment on Patient Number no. 9, more than making up for the underwhelming four minutes of song that precedes it. Due to each track having a unique recording lineup, Patient Number no. 9 kind of feels like a greatest hits album of new songs, not unlike that new Muse album you heard me talk about a couple hours earlier. However, I think this album pulls it off more emphatically than Will of the People, maintaining a surprisingly high level of quality and musical consistency despite the sheer volume of cooks in its kitchen. All of the tracks on Patient Number no. 9 feel like quintessential Aussie solo recordings, albeit from different stages of his career, and ultimately, each musical guest adapts to fit the mold while still clinging to their musical identity in the process. Hell, even Eric Clapton, perhaps the album's biggest outlier, seems right at home on his track One of Those Days, seamlessly injecting some of his signature blistering blues guitar into what is otherwise a pretty exemplary Aussie semi-ballad. As for the man of the hour, Ozzy sounds just about as normal and healthy on patient number nine as he ever has, though it's evident he needed more studio help than usual to attain this. The important thing is, he was the grand architect behind this whole album and has turned in a final product that very much delivers the Aussie goods in all the ways that still matter. Ultimately, Patient Number no. 9 isn't the most cohesive Aussie album, and it's far from his heaviest, leaning on ballads a bit more than average, but it's a strong showcase for all the artists involved, and so fun to listen to that its runtime of over 61 minutes hardly feels strenuous. That being said, the album could have lost either Parasite or Evil Shuffle, two of Zach Wilde's songs which feel kind of similar, and not been any worse for wear. Alright, I've decided to close out this episode with one of the other Zach Wilde songs. 
By and large, I found Zack's contributions here to be more reminiscent of Ozzy's all-time classic 1991 album No More Tears than 2007's Black Rain, the last Ozzy album Zack was involved with, which had more of a Black Label Society influence, not that I minded. And I feel like this is pretty well exemplified by this next song, titled Mr. Darkness. Now go forth, my demon underlings, and do thy evil bidding on Earth.
my name, you asshole.